2: Hey everyone, welcome to the 233rd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Cheston Kwan, Deanna Ivanova, and Kyle McConaughey. I'm Warren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Low Today we've got Ryan Connolly on the show. That's right,
1: Mr. Film Riot himself. He's here to talk to us about the nature of building a DIY career on YouTube, in public, in front of everyone, and how he's managed to level up step-by-step incrementally on his own terms it's a really great episode ryan's been uh, a person on our list for a long time and i think we we dig in on what makes his show special and the ways in which we kind of as filmmakers and podcast hosts define ourselves
2: relative to film riot yeah, I feel like we're putting together the holy triumvirate. We've had Ted Sim from Indie Mogul and Aperture. We've had Seth Worley from Red Giant and Plot Devices. And now Ryan Connolly of Film Riot. If you need to know how to do something, one of these guys would have probably already taught you how to do it. I was very excited to talk to him because we're on, you know, recording everyone over Zoom. And just seeing his face like in the same way that like I've seen his face on YouTube tutorials like a bazillion times was kind of pretty exciting. And I feel like he really enjoyed talking to us, which I didn't know if he was, if you do it for so long, like, you know, is there a question that you can still be asked about filmmaking and not be bored by it? And the answer is yes. And what I liked about talking to him is, you know, there's some people that you see teaching about film a lot and you always wonder like about their own personal pathway and you know he's very transparent on his channel and he's made a bunch of like amazing like big budget short films that he's encouraged his fans to more or less be a part of the entire process every step of the way but it's still fun to see you know like robert mckee and his screenwriting career and you know these various people who are experts in their field as teachers and seeing how they are applying it to themselves and seeing that they have the same like emotions (laughs) You know, and trials and tribulations that that the rest of us have as filmmakers.
1: Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. We try our hardest to avoid talking too much about the nature of making a show like Film Riot or like Just Shoot It, but, you know, we can't help ourselves. There's not that many people out here doing the things that we do, right? Separate, as, separate from being filmmakers. Normally, you know, we get to scratch that itch of, you know, relating to and you know, talking shop with filmmakers on a weekly basis. But now we've been doing this show for five years. It's rare to know someone who understands the ins and outs of making this other sort of meta product, you know, I think is really interesting. And so it's always hard for us to not want to just like talk about the nature of making a
2: show like ours as well. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if it is really just like the best way to procrastinate you know ever <laughs> is talk about how you want to do the thing instead of actually doing the thing <laughs> but yeah i mean with i can't think of another field or industry that connects technical things and artistry and storytelling and like emotionality as much as film does so i think that's what makes making this show so fun because we can lean into one of those things we can lean into like how you make shot lists and then we correct course by you know how to work with actors then we correct course by time at what kind of stories are important to tell and like helpful for the world to even have and unique voices and it's just i don't know it's just an endless thing it's like what else is there in the world other than art politics love and engineering in yeah. yeah totally and i think
1: that Ryan does a really wonderful job of finding the things that he is curious about the things he wants to learn more about the, the skills he wants to hone and building shows around those ideas so that they he can then translate it into his
2: filmmaking and you can watch that progress in real time and so that's a real treat one last thing he talked about which i've actually been thinking a lot about since we spoke to him a few days ago is this idea that a short film can look like a youtube film that there's this idea that something can feel youtubey or digital and there's something that can feel cinematic and worthy of being on a big screen in a movie theater and the difference Is not necessarily the budget. Without a doubt.
1: Yeah, I think it comes down to approach and detail and timing. You know, I think a thing that we're constantly looking at and striving for in our own work and a thing that certainly like you've taught me a lot about is just like the finishing is everything. Taking the time to really dig in on every single detail, things that feel like maybe they're nitpicky or that no one's ever going to notice. That sort of stuff is the difference between something that feels like someone cranked it out on a low budget and put it up online because they've got a a post schedule to meet versus something that is worthy of being in a a theater. And I think as that divide grows, that's going to be the thing that makes the difference between feature films, I think, and the smaller scale projects, whether that's, you know, a Star Wars movie or an MCU movie or a Christopher Nolan movie, right? That's that's the difference at this point.
2: Yeah. Well, one interesting thing I saw this morning on Deadline was that this movie that I did three visual effects shots on, <laughs> just won the gold lion at Cannes. Probably because of those three shots, I, I guess. I mean, undoubtedly, because of those three VFX shots. They said it was a VFX accomplishment never seen before. But uh, when I did the visual effects on that, you know, I've done been doing visual effects for a long time. You know, we talk about it all the time. and I apologize if it's too technical, but someone will send me like ProRes 4x4 file, 4K or whatever, and I do the effects on them and I send them back ProRes 4x4, you know, keep it in log color space or whatever because we were trying to preserve the quality of the film. And every once in a while, someone will send me like DPX files, which means, you know, each frame has its own image file and they're kind of big. But when I worked on that movie, which is a real movie, it's like a Fox Searchlight film, they do not mess around. They are sending you... EXR files like every single frame is like 150 megabytes and they're like do not mess with one thing we have to have sessions about just making sure the color is not modified in any way we work in this like linear color space and the fact that i'm even using after effects is almost embarrassing you know i think it might actually be embarrassing consumer level yeah, <laughs> yeah. adobe product <laughs> yeah. as yeah, opposed yeah. to nuke or some a studio level product right all the shots i did are totally in- invisible effects yeah. that no one would ever know. yeah or <laughs> even dead. yeah
1: it's really like it's the equivalent of like erasing things that shouldn't be there but that only the trained eye would notice were there in the first place
2: Yeah. And that's something I've noticed. You watch YouTube tutorials, like especially for visual effects and things. And they're like, oh, yeah, you can just do a cut here. No one will notice this and do this. No one will notice in a million years and do this. But when you work on these films that are going to be up for an Oscar, every frame should be perfect. Like no one should be able to pause this frame and say, look at this thing that's totally wrong. Like, you know, they used to do back in the day with those Disney animated movies where the animators were sneaking in things or even Fight Club has a few frames snuck into it. Right. If it's a movie that's going to get acclaim and be like this worldwide recognized thing people will look at every frame of your movie and and i think you make a good point that caring about every frame of your film is something that is different than a lot what a lot of youtube people are saying like i need to have something to release on when next wednesday right right and that's not about
1: talent or skill or ambition that's about release schedule but there are muscles that you have to train to catch the things those details that you're even looking for I can remember earlier shots of mine where I was like, yeah, that looks great. This is the best shot I've ever done. And then you look at it now and you're like, oh yeah, there's like 45 things I would change. Yeah.
2: I constantly am like struggling with wide shots. Like I see in my mind, I have a location that's amazing. I mean, let's say like a convenience store. It's just just a regular location, but you've seen beautifully shot convenience stores, right? And then I bring my iPhone and I take some photos at the location. I'm like, why does this not look like Shazam or something? Like, what is it? And... I remember Rafi Fine, you know, who we both worked with in the past. This was years ago. He sent me a frame from like a John Woo film. And it was like just a guy sitting in the car with nothing in the background. And then he sent me a shot of something from a, one YouTube video he did. that was like a guy in a car. And he's like, why does the John Woo one look so cinematic? Why does it look good? And why yeah. does mine not? Like, what is the difference? And, you know, it, it's it's hard to tell. But I was trying to kind of delve into like color science, the the controlled palette, the Depth of field, maybe their lenses—I don't know. They're, it's subtle, you know. But I mean, the problem is, is that it's
1: all of the above, right? Like,
2: if it was just
1: as simple as like vintage lenses, bro, you know, it's then gotta crop it
2: two, three, nine
1: crop, dude, you're done. Yeah, right. Well, and uh, in film school, I can remember, or even younger, cropping it and making it all of a sudden feel widescreen. You're like, this is cinematic, right? This does feel better this is a big step forward and it's like an easy, quick one that you can do. And then you realize you slowly learn like, Oh, there are so many other tiny layers and details. And I think that the advantage of working consistently and being challenged to
2: do that better work over and over again, that's how you learn to see all of those tiny details. Yeah. And you think, I mean, in casting too, like you start working with actors that are, have spent weeks thinking about their character and you know they're not like on set like trying to remember oh wait what was the line of dialogue what was that mm-hmm. line okay, what happens here like, right yeah the dialogue is like not even important anymore there I just watched this movie on the airplane Portrait of a Lady on Fire mm-hmm. insanely good movie yeah yeah like, perfect for perfect for an airplane
1: just like nice and tiny lots of white noise. Were you wearing a face
2: guard? I hope you were wearing a face guard. You're like fighting the reflection as well. Like I had uh, an aisle seat and I turned it on. It's like, this movie might have some graphic nudity sure. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, uh. So I had, because of COVID, the plane was like mostly empty. So I like moved to the window seat to watch it. Yeah, yeah. So people in the aisle aren't seeing me watching uh, all this nudity on just screen. Like a th- just a thoughtful lesbian love story. That's yeah. all. So good. I don't know. I could talk about that movie for two hours. We could do a whole episode on it. But instead of talking about that... I'd love to remind people that we have a Patreon page. It's it's growing uh, by the week, which is really wonderful
1: to see. We appreciate all of the contributions people are making, especially during these times. But it keeps the show going. We've managed to give our team a little raises. We're bringing on more people as well. Our editor is doing even more work. And so that's given us the opportunity to expand the ideas and scope of what we want to do with the show, dedicate a little bit more time to booking bigger and better guests that still fit within the scope of what we're trying to do and what we're trying to teach everyone about. Um, It's been really nice. Genuinely, I feel free to do more better work on improving the show rather than some of the more nitty-gritty parts of just keeping it up and running. I also want to shout out Jeff Bearhand long-time patron, long-time listener, sent us a photo of him with some Just Shoot It stickers. And I know there's a heck of a lot more of you out there with those stickers now. I want to see some photos, everybody.
2: And so as Dre Babinski once complained to us that it's so hard to find our Patreon page, I'm going to tell you again, patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. Patreon.com slash just shoot it pod.
1: Thanks, everyone. We
2: appreciate you. And now, Ryan Connolly. Hey, folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them for us while we are being artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film production insurance to
1: cover the risks associated with your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes, basically anything you can watch on big media or phone-sized screens.
2: Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million. There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada, use coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50OFF
1: for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50OFF to save 50 bucks.
2: And if you're shooting in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker, by email, or over the phone. It's like a cool password if you're in the U.S. That's just shoot it 50 off. Check him out. Let us know how it goes. Matt claims that you're the guy that invented using PVC pipes as Dolly Track. Is that true?
0: think so i mean if i am I'll,
1: I'll i'll take well you certainly have taught a lot of people metaphorically and perhaps literally how to do a lot of those early diy hacks for sure sure sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I, I actually i did construction work with my dad before i went full time so it's like after film school my dad is a electrical contractor and he would just you know, run sites. And so after film school, that was like, man, you know, I'll get that job and make sure. okay work. And that helped me get my gear together. But that's working with all like MT pipe and PVC pipe and all that mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I had like a head for those sorts of things because you're always running pipe in different ways and getting it to do different things that you need it to do. So once we started doing the DIY, it was always like, PVC will probably work. So we <laughs> sure. made like so many things. I'm
2: more of an ABS guy myself, but yeah. you know, who's judging? It's just a lot of pipes fell off your dad's truck is what you're saying, Ryan. They <laughs> may <have.
0: laughs> They may have. There was well, many I'm, a time where my father was like, is this, are these
2: my tools? Speaking of that, I'm like kind of curious because, you know, Matt and I, when we... Trying to figure out what we should talk about on the podcast. Part of it is just stuff we're curious about, but other parts are like what we think our listeners would care about. And also what in the landscape of
1: film education, where are their holes, right? Like you guys have certain things covered. Like we're never going to be Film Riot or Indie Mogul. So what will we be? What do we want to make? Film Mogul. Yeah, film mogul, perfect, um, yeah.
2: No, but, yeah. but I guess, well, one of the things, and I'm curious about your channel is because it's interesting to hear your construction background in a way or your family construction background because I would watch your videos, you know, I've been watching your stuff for years and I'd be like, okay, cool, so I just need to get a miter saw and a blowtorch <laughs> and a this, and and I'm like, yeah, yeah. and I'll, like a lot of filmmakers don't really come from that background of having the shop. Um, But also you're like, and you can get this for $3, this for $8, for $42, you can have this, you know, whole exploding ring or whatever and light your friend on fire. So it's clear that you obviously you're not going to go, go get the $5,000 item, you know, and you're not going to spend $2,000 a day motion control rig, unless you're doing like a plug or you're showing people like what people use in Hollywood or whatever. Like how do you set the parameters for yourself of what, you think your listeners like can actually achieve is there a thought process and also how has that changed
0: I think well the 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 kind of the idea behind the show from square one, um, which you know I, I've I've said a bunch, but the idea has always been like what the opener said was which was like you want to be a filmmaker, so do I. Let's figure it out. And <laughs> the idea is that it was gonna uh, like you know follow my career from super green. I have nothing. I don't have pennies to rub together currently. <laughs> to you know hopefully making feature films, and that's kind of been the public you know journey with the idea of fail publicly, succeed publicly. <laughs> All those things and we've done both <laughs> we've mm-hmm. definitely failed big publicly
2: how, how have you guys failed because i guess i from watching your channel i haven't seen that
0: oh, well that's awesome but i mean there's you know there's stuff that we put out where i'm just like that's not the best that didn't come out how we wanted or mm-hmm. you know episodes that were like god you could tell that we did that one fast you know there, there's that stuff where it's just not as good but the real major failure that we had that i was i was happy to be public about because i thought it was a good message to put out because you know mm-hmm. often it's like an instagram world everything's perfect all the messaging is perfect it's nobody's fault you know oh it's it's it elevated world elevated it's elevated material you know it's like what is mm-hmm. what is everyone saying you know so back in 2013 it would have been to to this day the biggest short film i ever did it was called outsiders it was this like behind closed doors like unofficial yes go do it by image comics to do like this side Walking Dead fan film so it's kind mm-hmm. of what they ended up doing like what was it called like Fear the Walking Dead where it's like sure. elsewhere yeah, yeah. is that was kind of the idea of the short film
1: mm-hmm. right like there's a zombie apocalypse but there's a lot of pockets of
2: survivors so this is the story of one pocket I Wait, and you had an Image Comics involved in this you're saying
0: no i had a friend there who was high up and i Mm -hmm. i talked to him and i'm like hey could you talk to robert and see if you know and he's like listen we're not gonna go official on this but yeah do it and then show it to us Mm -hmm. so it was kind of like if they dug it it could have, uh-huh. you know, so I was sure. like, Oh, <laughs> yeah, so you know, the pressure was so on. You're like,
2: uh, We're selling the house, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're selling the house, baby. Well, we yeah. got
0: a bunch of sponsors on. We had one major investor in it who was like covering over half of it, and it ended up ballooning into this $300,000, 30 minute, mm-hmm. 25 30 minute short film with like a hundred plus zombie day, all in makeup. We had the guy who worked on Transformers building sets for us in Austin. We had, you know, uh, makeup artists behind Resident Evil working, made tons of custom stuff. You know, I I sent actors out to his studio to get, you know, all the prosthetics done, the whole nine. And then the Friday before the Monday, we were about to start shooting. And this was all very public. We did a whole live event, which sure, we had like, sure. you know, I think 30,000 people watching.
2: You know, we, <laughs> Wait, we sold we pre-sold posters to help pay for the film. Watching you on set film. And so and I know I said I follow you and I, I do, but I kind of on and off. I might have like probably been a little off during this outsider's time. So this is I'm very curious to hear what happened.
0: Yeah. So, well, the Friday before the Monday, we were about to start shooting. The money fell through. And so yeah. now we're not shooting.
2: And it's yeah. I, I saw it coming and wait, but did you have the sets already? Like, they were
0: mostly built. They were almost done. And we like called them and we were like, Hey, you could stop. <laughs> you don't sure. have to work over yeah. the
1: weekend. You're saying basically people were working as though money was in the bank but you literally you didn't literally have the I lost the a
0: lot cash. I put it I I basically bankrolled it personally up front right. like all the pre-pro right. was. like
1: you floated everything right
0: and yeah. then you know the 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 sponsor money would have offset that but instead I just lost all like money. sell
2: more lut packs <laughs> we need to do
0: more in the store but uh th- there were people like flying in like in the air yeah, yeah. when I got the news but uh, and, yeah. you know and it was when it when it finally came through and we we're on the phone we we're like all right let's Pull the plug. It's not, it's you know, because it's like, oh, the money should be there on Monday. And it's like, okay, we're not doing yeah, this. And it right, that was right. like a huge moment of relief for me because the ship was already sinking and I knew it.
2: And wait, how many days was your shoot gonna be? It was six or seven. Okay. So you couldn't have squeaked out on the fumes. No, no,
0: <laughs> no. And there were so many things that like weren't hadn't been done because the money wasn't coming in, but it was too, you know, late. Mm-hmm. The 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 ball mm-hmm. was rolling and, and so there was nothing left to do, but pull the plug, call everybody and tell them. And then publicly on the show be like, yeah, so that thing we've been talking about for months now, and we've done all these like pre-production sure. BTS on, and you bought posters. Yeah, it's not happening, <laughs> you know? And
2: <laughs> and were you, you were like the writer director on this, right? Yeah. And, and just to like, take a step back, is the, like in your head, Ryan, kind of like separate from Film Riot, is there an idea that like, if this takes off, Image Comics joins us, This turns into a feature at Warner Brothers, whoever does, you know, Walking Dead. I'm moving to Hollywood and being a feature film director and passing off Film Riot type of thing.
0: I never want to fully pass off Film Riot. Like Film Riot, like my brother Josh kind of, you know, runs it for the most part. And we've been (laughs) gearing toward that for a long time, considering that as I get closer and closer to the features, like that's gonna happen, but I'll never like leave it. You know, I'll always, right, you know, it's, right. a, it's a major passion of mine, but that was yeah, hundred percent. Like a buddy of mine, Dan Trachtenberg mm-hmm. had like two years before, put out the portal, you know, yeah. short mm-hmm. film. And then he made a movie with Bad Robot. And I'm like, and I knew I was it. he hadn't made uh 10 Cloverfield yet, but he had some major stuff developing and going on right now. And I knew that.
1: So you're looking at him and you're like, let's do it all in. Yes. Let's,
2: yeah, yeah, Yes.
0: And I'm yeah. like, man, if I could, you know, if this could be a proving ground, of me as a director and especially about in 2013 that was still very much a
2: thing you gotta admit you look at someone like dan trachtenberg and he makes one short that's really awesome we will admit but then you look at everything you've made which all the things you've made probably add up to more than that one short. And then you see him get this deal. Isn't that infuriating?
0: No, not to me. I mean, I, you know, I'm I, I'm always just excited for friends. And I he's just ridiculously talented. And the big difference between me and Dan is, like, Dan had done a ton of major commercials. He had done a, he, like, did viral campaign for, like, Hellboy 2, I think it mm-hmm. was. Um, and different stuff like that. So he was already, like, you know, he knew the process. He knew the people. Right. He knew how to pitch. I was still figuring all that out.
2: That's an interesting, sorry to interrupt, but it's interesting to note that like I think we think of him as like just what you read in Deadline or whatever. Right. As like the guy that made Portal. Right. And then he got, you know, 10 Cloverfield Lane, but like, the truth is he did like a hundred things in between. Exactly. And
0: that that's what I'm always talking about too. And that's one of the things I really love about Film Riot is because it's open and it's public. It's there's 11 years of Film Riot, you know, at 12 probably before anything really happens that it's like, no, look at how long this took. And that was just, you know, that was, you know, Film Riot started five, you know, six years, seven years after film school. So there was even, mm-hmm. and then, you know, we all did tons of stuff before film school, you know, for those of us at Winslow Films. So it's just all that time, you know, David Sandberg, everybody, he's the one that seems most like overnight, but he was still, you know, beating his head against the wall, right. you know, making short after short after short, putting in the work, trying to figure it out before, you know, lights out ever, ever took off. So there's always that,
2: you know, right. He's like the opposite. Um, You know, he's like the guy that did Shazam and did these big movies. And he's like still, you know, working with his Ikea lights and making his short films and doing tutorials about his. Uh, also, we we always talk about Shazam when we talk about him. But like,
1: you know, Annabelle creation. Right. Which was like this. The first after lights out was kind of like a, the first like, you know, franchise property. Look, everyone listening and the three of us would probably love to do a movie of that size, but like it wasn't a big, fancy payday, huge success, like honey, let's pop open some crystal and buy a new house sort of situation. You know what I mean? It was still that's a small movie in a beloved franchise, but it wasn't like Shazam is like a you know a proper studio feature, but he had to have two other movies and a bunch of viral success before that you know so i think the point we're all making is that it's incremental no matter how fun it is to talk about the overnight success
2: yeah and do you think he would have gotten shazam without the accent like if he just sounded like a never yeah <laughs> no way <right?
0: laughs> that was the, the entire yeah. reason yeah that was he's yeah, actually
2: born in milwaukee it's crazy <laughs> It's all I was, a facade. Uh, I grew up in Israel, and I told my commercial reps, "I was like, would it be helpful if I use like a Israeli accent, like a Hebrew accent, on these client calls, just like as a joke?" And they're like, "Yeah, can you do that?" <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I've never, never tried it, but yeah. Okay, sorry, I, I interrupted you. So. You were looking at at someone like Dan Trachtenberg. You thought this you do this walking dead spin-off.
0: Yeah, that that was a real bummer of it is, is uh, you know, that was a huge portion behind it is obviously I was gonna learn a ton from it. Um it was, it was the first time I was even gonna work with a cinematographer. So there was mm-hmm. a lot of firsts that were gonna come out of it. And, you know, if it went well and, you know, image dug it and they pushed it, could have gone viral, which could have led to, you know, something else. But sure. that didn't happen. And I'm you know, I'm not mad that it didn't happen. Like it taught me a lot and I think it taught everybody to watch the show a lot because, you know, as I've gone on in my career and even as I told people that were a part of it that hey, this isn't happening and you know, obviously I felt horrible and they were more like, "Dude, don't worry about it. This happens all the time." And I'm like, "What? What do you mean it happens all the right, time?" But right, it, you yeah. know, it does. Nobody talks about it. It's all behind it. So it was like it was nice to fail, you know, publicly in that way for for that reason. But
2: also, I mean, you turned you call it a failure, but you turned it into like, it's like kind of, you remember Rocket Jump the Show, which I know came after you did that. But like part of the, the shorts that they made were, you know, they were, they were fine. They were interesting. They're crazy. They're racing horses like, as if they're cars or whatever. But the, what was really interesting is seeing everyone sitting around the table pitching ideas and saying like, could we get a horse to do like a power slide, you know, and you still had that.
0: Yeah. And I think the big the main thing I'm I'm most proud of with that short is like, it, you know, film rights always been about like, you know, just keep pushing. And right. And we put our money Rioting. where our mouth is because it yeah. fell through, you know, huge. And then we said, but we're not just going to cry about it. We're going right. to make something anyway. So it went from having three hundred thousand dollars, a huge cast and crew, you know, the several days to well, there's this plot of land in the middle of nowhere and I have 300 bucks, what can we make? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I remember I just, you know, I, I emailed uh, Andrew Kramer, Dan Trachtenberg and, and Seth. And I was like, hey, can you guys jump on a call? And we just spitballed ideas until we came up with like, oh what about a shackle and it's you know it's connected mm-hmm. it was like okay and then me and seth went out oh i went off and wrote so it you
2: just call andrew kramer like it's no big deal
0: juju my baby boo uh <laughs> yeah he's he's helped out on a, a couple of shorts he's such a good dude man
2: calm down Orin. calm down <sighs> my heart is palpitating <laughs> yeah. it's um how, where what's going on with him can he put something on videocopilot.net <laughs> Driving me crazy that guy
0: (laughs) that guy he's uh, he's always doing like a hundred thousand things
1: you're reminding me of like there's a period of time in the early like 2010s and, and really more like the early aughts, where like the idea of getting you know exposure on the internet and then like turning that into a TV show or turning that into a feature career was uh what's much more viable basically you know like that was kind of what the landscape was looking like and the way that people were farming new talent right and since then i think it's interesting obviously like a lot of those places have shut down you know orin and i did a lot of work for like college humor or funny or die or all of those kind of like you know web portals or we both have go 90 shows you know and all of that has gone away Right. Effectively. And I I am curious to see what the next wave of Farm League sort of proving grounds become. You know, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, it's not TikTok. Right. It's it's is it Instagram? I don't know. How do you build a following? How do you find people? You
0: know, I mean, there's a lot of people who have been doing it because I think, you know, there's that huge shift towards creator owned Cause I think people figured out that MCN was a thing and it was just a little, you know, icky to a lot of people.
2: By MCN, you mean the multi-channel networks when people were promoting each other and, and, teaming up but also signing over their rights in a lot of ways exactly right right.
0: i didn't know it was a thing until um revision three hit me up about film riot and one of my rules is always if i don't own it, i don't do it uh until it gets the features and then there's just there's no negotiating that way but like yeah
2: but you can afford to make your own youtube series right you know so like why sell it yeah wait but but why what if someone said we want you to direct an episode of station 19. Like when that- No,
0: that's totally fine. But I mean, like, you know, this is my full-time job, you know, it's it's I've always tried to keep ownership, especially mostly if it's like I'm passionate about this thing, um, like Film Riot. Um, I wasn't about to sign over any form of rights to film riot. So instead it was like I was on their brand, there was a revenue split. Uh in the beginning they got a much larger revenue split to it. Mm-hmm um but you know i fronted the budget for the show i did all that and they brought in ads and they marketed the show that that was really the main like plus to an mcn back in the day is the marketing power that they had behind them mm-hmm. and you know the network that they had behind them so it was like you know the nbc of the internet essentially and they owned most of their shows there was just like maybe two of us that owned the properties uh on there mm-hmm. and it also allowed me to be like you know when they came with a sponsor that i didn't want on the show because there's like 10 year olds watching my show i would be like no and i could do that you know whereas all the other channels just had to be like okay i guess we're running this ad so that that was a plus too and then you know it's just it's gone with me and then discovery you know Reb 3 sold to discovery and that became like group nine which became seeker and you know Mm -hmm. now we're fully independent and i think you know you've seen that massive turn toward the fully uh independent creator own type Mm -hmm. stuff you know i think it just takes whatever that one thing is to kind of hit you know like peter mckinnon did he had that thing that hit and then he just rode that wave smartly and just and and grew it that way then there's other channels that just they kept at it uh i i think we're kind of like a channel sort of like that we had a nice like you know springboard in the beginning but it was just you know we've just kept at it for like 11 years. So I think that's kind of, you know, mainly where we're at. It's less about you know, bigger corporations and more about like, you know, the authentic individual, at least for me and, and what I care about, you still have, you know, those massive channels who definitely have things behind the scenes going on, but I don't really watch that stuff. You know, the reality TV of the internet type stuff, you know, I'm not bashing it. It's just not sure. my cup of tea. Sure.
1: It's just complete garbage. It's fine. It's, it's, a <laughs> it's, thing.
0: it's pure poo. <laughs> <laughs> but then as far as like, you know, you make something to hopefully get that turned into a feature, as far as my experience goes, that's still very much a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few of after ballistic, that's really, I mean, every three, three or four of my shorts I bit, um, went out, got some, you know, mm-hmm. uh, recognition. And some calls came
1: some heat on this piece of talent i never really pushed too hard for them
0: because i didn't <laughs> sure. feel ready for it but ballistic was like uh that was like a specific effort of hopefully this is gonna open doors because i really want to push this time and it did and i talked to a few producers and these were very large companies and all of them said the same thing they had a department that their job was they watched short films online and passed off what they thought was good so they're very much like still looking for that sort of stuff and there's a couple of producers that i know now that are constantly and they're even like hey send me anything you find because they're constantly Mm -hmm. looking for ip to snag and you know, try to take that because you, here's your proof of concept. It's already done. You know, sure. that, that right. lights and out. and we effect.
1: didn't spend any money on it and, and we didn't have um, to spend any money on it. Yeah. So yeah. Th- it still seems very
0: much like people. A lot of people are still looking for that lights out effect. But, you know, it, it also definitely seems heavily toward very genre specific type stuff, you know. Um, Yeah, you know heightened concepts horror sci-fi action that kind of stuff.
1: Well, that's great that what a perfect segue It's like you have a podcast because the the other thing I think we want to talk about is, you know You've been drawn to genre, right? Like I think you kind of grew up in this world where like, you know There's like action horror sci-fi supernatural sort of elements to all of your work and specifically I think taking that idea and then also your background in teaching people DIY filmmaking, how do they kind of cross pollinate? How do those streams cross? Um, and how has it affected you as a, as a filmmaker? How does
0: uh DIY like go into genre? You mean?
1: Yeah, exactly. How do you approach the genre elements knowing that you've got kind of this Swiss army knife of different ways? You know, you can pull out the old rear projector or the, you know, the goo gun or whatever, you know, as far as
0: genre goes, I feel like story always, you know, um, Kind of dictates what genre it's going to be it's like you know i don't think any of us are like i'm gonna make a horror movie i mean i guess some people might be but you know it's not i don't really set out to this will be horror. it's kind of like you get an idea and well of course that's horror you know Mm -hmm. and then i and then i just chase that and i think i love genre because it's such an exclamation point on ideas you know so like Mm -hmm. that's why i love horror you could take like this very thematic idea like you know hereditary relic and you could really put that hard Exclamation point on the thing you are really diving into, whereas you know with drama you're you're more staying very realistic. With horror, you can really you know, and oftentimes life feels horrific. I mean, we're in 2020, sure, for instance. Sure. You know, 2020 is one long horror movie. Yeah. So I think I'm drawn to it for that reason. And as far as the, the DIY element goes, I think that's just been really helpful across the board, just for you know filmmaking in general. You know, because mm-hmm. you, I've never had much of a budget, like ballistic had a decent budget to it. But even in ballistic, you know, we had a hundred people on set for the action stuff. And there were times where I'm like, uh, we're running out of time, get me that board and get ready sure. that thing. And then yeah, we yeah. just constructed this thing. And it was like, you know, a couple people were like, that's never gonna work. And then it worked perfectly. And we're like, great, moving on, you know? Um, so that stuff, even to this day really helps. And I know we were talking about David Sandberg. He's told me about things that he's done on set where it came from, you know, I did this one time in my apartment with my wife and then it that's how they did it because, hey, we don't have the money, but we could still do this just by doing X, you know? All my friends have stories like that. Even, you know, DPs I've talked to, you know, have stories. Shane uh, Hurlbut has, you know, that he's talking about plenty that, you know, big long piece of wood with bulbs stuck in it and it's one of his favorites lights. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a homemade thing. So that DIY aspect has made things possible for me. But even when I had resources, it was really an amazing thing to have in the back pocket to, you know, problem solve quickly. And I think you know uh, one of the reasons we like we like to teach the just. Just do it, do it at home, grab your iPhone, whatever it is. You know, we call it the filmmaker toolbox all the time on the show because you're just constantly shoving those ideas that you've tried into that Mm -hmm. toolbox and, you know, moving aside the ones that you tried that didn't work. And the more you do those things, the more you build up you know, those ideas in your back pocket, the better you're gonna be on set, the more valuable you're gonna be as a filmmaker because you're. You know, that's what filmmaking is. It's it's constant problem solving, you know, and shifting gears. Well, that doesn't work. And 50 people are looking at me saying, now what? You know, you gotta think quick and come up with a new thing. And I think that's what's great about experience and why experience is so important and why I've waited so long to really push hard for features is because I wanted to have enough of that experience. And I think DIY is, is really like one of the biggest educators For that because you are you are like we were talking about you are grabbing P V (laughs) C pipe to get things done or strapping a firecracker to someone's chest with a
1: metal plate. Well, and it's nice you know it's gonna work, right? You come from a place of authority, so I, I think sometimes when you level up, sometimes you'll have producers who are like, I'm sorry, Ryan, we can't afford to we can't afford squibs and you're like, Well, I know how much a firecracker and a metal plate costs, so let's figure it out. And that's maybe a bad example. Just having that as, you know, a a way of reassuring yourself that you know a couple different ways to do it and like not being hindered by the quote unquote right way sometimes, right? Because there's a lot of people are like, wow, I don't know. That's not how you do it in Hollywood all the time and it's the There's worst. been a
0: few times where I was on set with somebody just uh helping out like I did a uh, second unit directing on one thing and it's a it was a it was a very large uh project a couple million um it, so everything union everything by the book sure. this is a legit yeah. like full on LA thing. And there were so many things that I I can't even count how many times I said, just give me the camera. I'll do it. Just let me do (laughs) it. Just just hand me it. I'll do it. You know, it's like, but it's like, I don't feel safe. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? There's literally no reason to feel unsafe in this situation. Just give me it. I'll do it. Like one was somebody had to run to a helicopter and the, the cam op, didn't feel safe and i'm like the actress is running to the. how do you get in a helicopter you run to it what do you mean (laughs) like just take the camera and walk to the helicopter yeah yeah so it's like stuff like that where it's like you know of course safety is key we preach that on the show all the time but these were you know you had an amazing stunt coordinator standing there going what are you talking about this is there's no issue here whatsoever and it's like that's their job so it's like uh, you know stuff like that uh, drives me nuts so I totally relate to that but like even trying with the DIY trying stuff in post and practical Mm -hmm. I think also teaches you quite a bit because then it's like you know we're running out of time we don't have time for the practical you know what we could do this digitally I know we can let's just shift and do sure you know adding that to you know the the post can be DIY as well like in Mm -hmm. a weird way Um, I've always used after effects in a very DIY sort of mindset if you ever watch my tutorial Whereas now they're getting a little more legit. I have a VFX artist, Ryan Thompson, and, and he does them uh, now for the most part. I just host it. But whenever I do it, you can tell because it's very sure. you know, you know, sure. bubble gum and popsicle sticks. It's just like.
2: Yeah, but that is After Effects. It's like I feel like Andrew Kramer's famous for like just building everything out of a solid, right? But I guess what I'm curious about, because I think about this all the time is like. Can you be too DIY and kind of like exactly for what you're saying? So I when I started out, I think like everyone else, I did have the P V C pipe dolly, I had my own PD one fifty and then the D V X one hundred or whatever and you know, shooting stuff with my roommates and jumping off roofs and being on top of cars and all that stuff. That's fun. And we're making all these things. And and we don't recommend. (laughs) And we don't recommend. And, you know, and I had like all my own C stands and sandbags and the car I got was built to be a car that I can shove a bunch of C stands and sandbags in. And at some point I'm like, I don't want to carry fucking C stands and sandbags anymore. Like I'm over it. Like, when am I going to get to the point where I show up and somebody else has picked up like You know, I would go to wood and nickel or whatever, and I have to test every light, like, and check things out and get the insurance in place. And I was like, I want to get to a place where I don't have to even worry about that. And I'm not buying cameras and lenses because I I want to be, you know, the director. And I don't want to be tight, spend 80 grand on this red scarlet package that's worth like four grand the next year, you know, Um, and be in the rental business and be in the gear business. And now that there's this pandemic and, you know, all of a sudden everyone's like, hey, can you shoot everything by yourself with your family acting in it at your house? And I'm like, well, I do have these C stands. I'd prefer not to carry them into my house. But, you know, now I'm like kind of miss that DIY life. But I also have been in that situation many times. And I know, you know, I I have a lot of friends that have worked with the Corridor Digital guys, right? That I, I know some people, they're just kind of so entrenched in the like, can't I just grab the camera and run over there and do this? That it's very hard for them to work with like a big union crew. You know, our friend Tony Asenda who did um American Vandal, he said when they were shooting a scene there there was like a fireplace in the in the apartment they were shooting in, they just wanted to was one that you can turn on with a light switch, you know, and it just it's a natural gas fireplace. And he's like wanted to turn it on. They're like, Yeah, we don't have the fire marshal here, we can't turn that on. And he was like, Are you insane? And I don't know, we've all been on a stage where we're like, Oh, what if we just put a couple candles there and they're like open flames? Come on.
1: Sli- a slight tangent one time. I shot a, a uh, I've told the story on the show before, but I shot a, a some cat food commercials in uh, Moscow, in Russia, a little over a year ago now. So we've got a cat running around, right, that we f- like flew in from some other, like if it was from Sweden or whatever. We're in a warehouse in Moscow and there are fucking candles everywhere and a fireplace that we built. And I kept asking, I was like, is there like a fire safety officer? And they were like, we don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, well, how does the fireplace work? And they go, oh, we'll show you. And they walk me around the corner and there's just a short man in like, uh, you know, like some dirty clothes with a propane tank and a flamethrower, like a little blowtorch. And he would turn on the gas and then he'd light it up and they'd be like, you have to cut in about a minute and a half because he has to turn off the propane. And he was just back there, just like turning it on. There's no,
2: there's no chimney. There's just, there's just a little man with a little flamethrower. And that was like, by the way, KGB agent says never use fire and safety in same sentence. But so I guess to that point, like, do you figure out a way? Because, you know, I'm sure Dan Trachtenberg isn't lighting his own fires and things. David Sandberg probably is. How do you go to that level where you're not the guy that's like, yeah, just take a drill, connect it to that chair and it'll spin, you know? Is there a way where like you disconnect your mind from the DIY thinking and yeah do you turn that off when you're on a bigger set maybe it's just about having people you trust it was
0: definitely a learning process for me like the first few times i did stuff with a legit crew and people who actually knew what they were doing and i didn't have to do the things or worry about the things or you know do the bubble gum and popsicle sticks like oh we're oh that's how they you're we're doing it like how we really how you would do it oh okay you know that even when we did ballistic as early as ballistic which was two years ago um there were moments where i was fully going diy with it where it's like well you know what i could do i could just put the camera here i could do that and one of my producers is like ryan if you want these cars moved we'll move the cars i'm like what do you mean they're all broken down cars and like yeah we're bringing in a forklift we're gonna move these cars wherever you want it tell us how you want this place set up and i'm like i'm sorry what i right. can just tell you however i sure. want and you're gonna do what i want and they're like yeah and i'm like okay put that
2: car there and they're like you got it and, I'm and like, you're like okay where's the forklift I, i'll drive the forklift
0: totally i was like all right so i have to get here early and do sure, it sure. Like, oh Hold wait on. no so, i don't
1: i've got some skis I'll, I'll duct tape them to my car and then yeah, yeah. so
0: it, it had it, it was even even with that it was there was a moment where um my stunt coordinator was also my producer and he was like dude just tell me what you want i'll yeah. be the one to tell you if we could do it or not and then we'll go from there i'm like right.
1: OK, yeah, yeah, it is a weird transition for sure,
0: because there was even a moment where my actress ends up breaking a window to get something out. And originally she just opened the door in the script because, you know, my thinking, sure, right? <laughs> we, he, she, of course, we're not going to break a window. But we get there and it's like uh, I had the idea of like, man, it'd be so much better if she broke it Like, why would it it's so dumb that she would open a yeah, door? So
2: 2019. Yes.
0: Yeah, so I was just like I randomly was like, I wish we could break the window. Like, of course, we could break the window. Which one? This one? Yeah. And then hold on, let me get it. And he pulled this uh, effects guy over and he's like, Hey, can we do that? And like, again, yeah, no problem. I'll just put a squib here and here. And but, yeah, not a, not a problem. We'll do it. I'm like, okay, so we're just going to do it now. We're just going to break. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And by yeah. the end of the shoot, my brain was thinking more in those terms where it was mm-hmm. like, Hey, I want to do this. And uh, so it, it was a bit of a, a learning curve and I had already done some stuff before then, but that was the highest level of like, Hey, we have <clears> trucks <throat>
1: filled with stuff just in case you want something. I remember the first time I asked a producer, like if they had lunch taken care of and they were like, yeah, dude, of course. <laughs> and you're like, Oh, I should be directing. I should be di- I should be thinking about the scene not double checking that my crew's going to get fed.
2: Dude, you never did that. Yeah. You went to film school, USC. You guys are as soon as you come in there they're like what would you like for lunch for?
0: I would the, the first short I ever had where I I didn't do those things was um my la- my last short there comes a knocking which was last year and that was the first time where I was just like, you know, yeah, the producers are going to handle that stuff and and my yeah, yeah. brain was able to qu- kind of shift into that other but it's taken years to kind yeah. of realize that it's like, oh yeah, like they'll they'll do those things and they're good at those things and it'll be better because they're doing it but i again i will say even in there comes knocking even though i've gotten used to that there were several times where i busted out a diy solution because something wasn't working Mm -hmm. or you know oh geez that doesn't look good we thought it was going to and it's still low budget we don't have time to do like camera tests and stuff so it's like that doesn't look good so it's like all right you know what let's light it like this shoot it like this and i know i can do this and post to fix it invention
2: idea you make a hat, it says going DIY on it. And like whenever you're on set and you're like, it's time to switch gears. Yeah, yeah. And then all the union guys just turn around. They just stop yeah. looking at you. The other side of the hat says, I trust you. They're him. like, uh-oh, Ryan's
1: touching the camera. Look so away! Like, We're not. <laughs> My follow-up question though, the tricky thing about getting used to other people taking care, like experts doing their craft, Right. Is that sometimes you're inspired by limitations, right? Sometimes because you're used to doing everything yourself, you know, you don't move those cars, but you find a really cool angle because the cars are now a foreground element or something like that. How do you kind of deal with the other side of that? Like, if you got, do you ever find yourself being complacent in terms of problem solving? Like,
0: no, I, I mean, I think that, you know, as, as filmmakers succeed and, and go, you know, larger and larger, you know, like, you know, David had Shazam. Uh, mm-hmm. now you have something where you have a whole lot of resources. And I think in those areas is where it gets dangerous of like, I could do anything. like this could be a full CG shot. and then I think that's where it might get difficult. But you know, for me at least, every project I've ever done was nothing but problems and like, how the hell are we gonna pull this off? and right. and I do like to make myself uncomfortable. I've talked about that on the show a lot as well. Um, you know, if if I feel like, yeah, I got it in the bag no problem i don't really want to do it because i feel like you would kind of be complacent you would be like "Eh, paint by numbers i'll just Mm -hmm. and um we did a short called sentinel forever ago and i really did it just so we could show a certain thing and uh every short i've done over the last like six years was very specific toward i want to test myself in this way, or I want to learn this. Like, you know, ballistic, I, I worked with stunts in a way I never had before, lots mm-hmm. of practical stuff, wire pools, like crazy stuff like that, action in a way I hadn't done before. And Sentinel was like this, you know, invisible, you know, this ship that we we're putting in later, but you know, because it was such a short, like guy goes from here to here, some action happens, peace. I decided I'm not going to write a script. I'm just going to bullet a few things that I, uh, that I know are going to happen. I didn't really see the location ahead of time. Uh, I didn't do a shot list. We're just going to go zero plan and we're going to put this together on the spot. Because, you know, that mm-hmm. happens even with sure. a full plan. Everything's sure. like, well, we're not shooting that anymore. Now what do we do? So I thought it was a great way to, you know, to test myself. And because it was very, it was something that was a little paint by numbers for me. So it's like, I know how to do this. Like, I know exactly how to make this. And I always get a little worried when I feel that way. Like I want to be Mm -hmm. terrified that I'm going to screw this up, you know, and um, ballistic was nothing but terror. (laughs) And, and even though we had like a good amount of resources, it was like a hundred something thousand dollars short film in the end, we still pushed beyond every, you know, Mm -hmm. ability we had. Like it really should have been a 300 plus. I can't remember the number that my producers told me, but it should have been something like 350, 400, something like that. And we did it for like 120 in the end, something Mm -hmm. like that. And um, lots of favors, obviously, lots of figuring it out. Still, like DIY approaches in each department um, of its own kind. So I have not experienced the, you know, limited resources sure. thing that I, I still have had. Because even like the car moving thing, as awesome as it was, then after I moved like five cars, my producer went, okay, so I think it's important to tell you that every time move, we move a car, it costs us $200. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Okay, so don't yeah, yeah. move that. You're like, and, one. Uh, and if you and we t-
2: forgot to order lunch. <laughs> yeah, I hope you're okay with Chipotle. Yeah, even with yeah. that,
0: there was still, a li- it wasn't just like, it was like, okay, we have to move these cars and these cars because we're going to construct this piece. And so, you know, I I completely agree with you. Like those limitations, I always appreciate them because I mean, even when conceptualizing something in the beginning in pre-production, if it's like, you know, right now I've been, uh, developing a few things and there's some stuff where it's like, you know, here's a concept. Okay. We want that concept, build out the story. I was like, okay, great. Well, this concept could go a billion different places. And so one way that I've always whittled that down is by doing just that, even in, in story form is like, okay, here are my limitations and then build Mm -hmm. out around that so i kind of have that process no matter what even in pre-production where there is no limit the limits your imagination um so i think i'll I'll probably always do i hope i always do that and keep that that mindset but so far i have not had that issue it's always been how the hell are we going to pull this off
2: other than film riot and like doing these shorts which are kind of like i seem under the umbrella of film Riot, because you're teaching your audience everything you're learning everything you're doing i mean and i kind of a, feel like it's
1: a built-in marketing engine right like you're you're
2: dissecting right, you're, all you of the different audience. things it's like oh like
1: the wire poles and ballistic let's talk about how we did those sorry you were saying horn
2: yeah no i guess i'm just curious like is that the audience is awesome i you know i think there's that model where like i make a short film and five people see it but four of them work for studios and then the short is a is a means to a big project that pays a lot of money and ha- gives a lot of prestige so i'm curious i know we wanted to originally talk about like kind of the things you do and what you've learned and all that stuff but i'm i don't know really fascinated by your personal career here and like the trajectory like because what you you've built is awesome like i could see you doing film riot forever making bigger and better shorts and bigger and better things do you care about like directing commercials for other people pitching tv shows writing doing the non physical filmmaking stuff. And I know obviously you write and you talk about story and you talk about things. I'm sure you own many story clock workbooks. What's your dream? And I'm curious also about like how Dallas, like living in Dallas plays into it.
0: I, I hope I do film riot forever. Um, I hope that never goes away. And you know, I, I, I am very lucky in that, you know, what are the odds that I'll succeed in the ultimate goal of making feature films the way I want to want to make them like that's it's, you know, what the industry is. We all know what the industry is. And if nothing else, if all I do is film right for the rest of my life, I'm still making stuff for an audience. I'm educating, which has turned out to be a passion of mine, which I never expected.
2: Right. And you have a successful business too, right? Like, I mean, I guess there's the financial stability part of the filmmaking that many of us are chasing in various ways. Exactly. Like
0: film ride has been such a blessing into, you know, sustaining me financially while allowing me to do some, and you know, it's a business and it's all the pain in the ass stuff that comes with a business. And, you know, to where you're doing 80% of the stuff you don't want to do, but 20% of the time, at least, at
1: least it's 20%. Sure. But them. that's also filmmaking. Like, that's the thing that I don't think people understand. Like even when you're making a Steve, especially when you're making a studio feature, right it's not like well now i just get to shoot all the time and that's the only thing i worry about is making a good movie so much politics involved
0: uh behind the scenes with with even just trying to get something made Uh, it's crazy but yeah um uh i'm writing right now uh commercials no i mean i would do them you know i have done some stuff some client stuff in the past you know pay the bills but overall unless i have to i have no personal interest in commercials it's just not really my thing but you know features is for sure where you know my main you know hopes and dreams lie you know it's just make <laughs> to make those larger movies and I mean in a in a perfect world it would be go off, make a movie or two with studios, get that experience under my belt, and then, you know, come home to, you know, Triune, which is my main company, which does film riot, mother show variant, the the store and all that stuff, and then just start making my own movies, you know, with you know, no one to answer to at all except for the audience. Um right. that would be like, you know
2: Is there an example of someone that's done that that you can point to? I mean, any, Rodriguez
0: any, right? Kind of?
2: Yeah like everyone in Texas man. You know, Richard, Richard
0: Linklater,
1: Linklater Terrence Malick, David Lowry. you know like there's a lot of dudes who make their studio movies and then like get to hang out and
0: Yeah and like something like with a model of Film Riot where it would be like you know completely detached from that sort of stuff. I, I feel like there's a different way you know if things worked out well there would be a different model of getting the finances to make the thing even that would untether it you know from mm-hmm. you know all the madness you know answering to any like this is the story this is what i made because i've already experienced just pitching and developing and that stuff it's like passionate about something and no one sees what you see and you're like god you're nuts if you could just see the sure. thing you know yeah, and yeah. and sometimes it's like you know there was something i was pitching and uh uh, everybody was sent to really responded to it, but everybody who got it passed on it. And a couple Mm -hmm. people were like the beginning of the call, just gushing over the thing, love the thing. And I'm like, okay, so is it not, is it not a pass? Like it, it full on felt Mm -hmm. like, wait, are we talking about doing this? And then it was like, so anyway, but you know, fortunately that one's not for us. Let's talk about it. And I'm like, you, what? And then what I found out is just, it wasn't, straightforward enough it wasn't mm-hmm. um it's a drama for the first half and a horror in the second half and it's like you know there there's not a ton of things to point to that and that's not a definite like money maker and it's like okay i get that but it's like but you're just saying that you loved it and it's the type of movie you want to make <laughs> you know what i mean sure. but it's like yeah. you know it's still business and they still got to sell it and it's still got to worry about its return on investment and all that so getting to a place where you could you could just decide, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm just going to make it, which is is kind of the thing with, you know, a couple of the films that I got going, like I'm working on developing some stuff now, but like I'm kind of, you know, I have an arbitrary date in my head of this. If nothing moves, I'm just going to figure it out and make something for like, you know, 100, 200, whatever. Just make a feature. Just enough is enough and just go make the damn thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to ask, right? You hear the budgets of these awesome shorts that you're making, right? (laughs) Yeah. And you're like, well. You
2: can make an okay feature for 350.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the tricky thing, right, circling back is that the genre of it all action, wire pole, like, could you make a good movie, even a great movie with about a bunch of people talking in different locations that you could probably get for free a hundred percent, but that's not a Ryan Connolly movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah.
0: It would have so, something, it would have yeah, to have yeah. something. but I have some stuff that it's like, it's all genre. I am, I am like happily a genre filmmaker. I got a couple of things, a, a couple of ideas that are kind of outside of that, but not really. It's mostly genre, sci-fi action, horror. I have one comedy, so it, it would be that, but I have a couple of things that I was like, you know, I think we would need, you know, a million, two million. Mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know, I think there are avenues toward that, but you know, that brings in a whole new level of, you know, pain and punishment because I've been the studio quote unquote, Mm -hmm. for my short films. And once it balloons to a certain level when it has to, if you want to hit a certain level, the moving parts are nuts. And to be the writer, director, producer, and studio of a thing is, it's just a lot. And to do that Mm -hmm. in a feature uh, arena before ever doing one just is like, you know, I'll do it if I have to, but I know how painful that will be and how difficult that will be. And so if I could just focus on being a director or writer director, Mm -hmm. like that would be preferred.
2: My... Prediction is that you would not be happy with just doing those two things.
0: (laughs) Probably not.
2: (laughs) But I do have a pitch for a Ryan Connolly film. Basically, in the first 10 seconds of the movie, all of time stops. You know, kind of your tutorial where you guys are in the bedroom and everything's not moving. And basically, the entire movie takes place in that one moment and just the two people that are still moving have to figure out how to get time going again. Uh, that's pretty good uh,
0: um, not gonna lie that's Ryan actually Donald a pitch movies. that's being worked
2: on <laughs> <laughs> no it's not oh, It's right. not well, exactly
0: well, that but uh i'll, ju- I'll just i'll just say out, that though? it does
2: have to do with freezing time with that tutorial <laughs> well it's not uh, that
0: specific tutorial but it's a very much uh time is frozen in like the entire oh. planet type of thing and only a yeah, few yeah. people are not frozen
2: oh, that's awesome can i well can i tell you how many Commercials I've done where I'm like, they're like, that does it how are you going to do that? I'm like, film riot. This is how we this do it. This is how we do it. Yeah. Like I've shown your stuff to so many people to prove to them that it's doable. This YouTube idiot budget.
1: can do it. We can do it. Well, the, the, it also, it helps them understand The process right like you hear like frozen in time and you you think of the matrix or something and yeah ilm yeah you don't
2: have ilm budget right and
1: it's like no like these are the different elements that we're working with and maybe we do a little bit of bullet time or something but it's not 300 cameras it's four or whatever you know you can just breaking down the fundamentals helps people understand what it is you're trying to do basically yeah
0: it is interesting that we've gotten to a place where the people who don't know think that everything's this massive david copperfield illusion where it's still a lot of sleight of hand it's all close street Mm -hmm. magic you know yeah um and i I guess guess that's the diy thinking um and it all still works really really well and for me it's some of my favorite stuff just like i think even david put out a a video recently where it's just talking about the power of a cut where it's like Mm -hmm. the cuts the effect and that's a great example of that sort of thing where it's no more than literally a cu- I mean Looper their their they're like uh, time yeah. travel
1: is literally just a cut I've watched them. that that transition in like slow-mo to be like ah, did they do any like a little bit of like warping and scaling are they like is there like a three-frame
2: like time warp out of any? It's a hard cut. Uh huh. Yeah, they're like, oh, did you forget to put the VFX <laughs> shot in? <laughs> ah, just leave and it. it, it and out sometimes it's like that restraint,
0: that minimal approach, uh, yeah. makes it so much more grounded. Especially for that film, it did for me. It felt like, oh, yeah, you yeah. know, if somebody did just cease to exist, that's what would happen.
2: My last thing is just um, I can probably ask you questions all day long, but do you uh, about the location thing? Like, do you anticipate? like you have a family right and-, mm-hmm. and you know four times as much space as we do right like you know like you've got a lot of space in texas right yeah but we've got more fires so. <laughs> yeah that's true we Not got you everything's being there. bigger in texas yeah
0: it's been really helpful to live in texas uh yeah. that, i mean that's one of the reasons we went because you know the cost of living you know uh out in california is so high are you
2: in la before texas no
0: but a lot of my friends and some family were and like you know i bought when i came down to texas Uh, the first time and it's because I used to go to New York and LA a lot and I could just pop up to LA and three hour flight be there you know if I need to for whatever and uh, very small business friendly in Texas you know you have Austin which had a good film community Dallas was starting to grow now it's got a pretty decent like indie film community so that that it really made sense for all the reasons I specifically needed and you drive three hours this way that way or that way you get totally different looks so you know some of the shorts we would have done I used to live in Florida there was no way we were gonna do any of that in Florida, uh, and Florida, the cost of living was a little higher, not as friendly to small businesses. Um, but, uh, you know, when we first moved out to Texas, I rented a, I think it was like a 4,600 square foot house, 4,800 square foot house. And, you know, uh, I had a bedroom and the kitchen and the rest was like the studio. It's like, you mm-hmm. know, I, there were several people working for me and we just used the house and I was paying less than my cousin was for one, one in LA. Sure. So it was yeah. like, yeah, I can't. I can't sustain that and do cuz I wanted to stay as independent as I did and as as nimble as we were to as like shift on a here's a new idea and shift the whole thing. And if, you know, the overhead was that intense, we just wouldn't have had, you know, um mm-hmm. the flexibility to do those things or to, you know, save every extra penny and shove it all into a short film or or whatever it was. So that really made a lot of sense for the trajectory that we were on, especially because Film Night was which is the whole reason I was able to do that is is lucking out with Film Riot is because it, you know, it it is its own thing. That's a web based thing that could be its own pocket wherever I wanted to be. And it'd be the same thing. So uh, I also recognize that. And I'm very thankful, you know, that that worked out for me, that that gave me the ability to be able, you know, to go anywhere. Because otherwise, you know, <laughs> you kind of got to go to L.A. or something like that.
2: Yeah. Do you still have ties to I mean, obviously, you have a lot of friends that work in Hollywood, and I mean, I remember like freaking out when JJ Abrams, you know, recommended videocopilot.net in Wired Magazine. And then next thing we knew, like Andrew Kramer was making titles for Star Wars and he was kind of swept away into the, like sucked into Hollywood. Do you like, do you have reps, like managers, agents? Like does Film Riot have reps? Like
0: Film Riot does not, like everything in my company, I keep completely independent, separate, its own thing. Um, What it seems like is really exactly what it is. If it seems like we're just shooting in my house, just me and my brother and no one else is there. That's literally what's happening. It's me and my brother inside of my house. And that's it. You know, and I I really like that about the show. It's like, you know, we'll scale it over time, but I always kind of want to keep that super indie charm to it. You know, even Mm -hmm. I want to bring more people, more voices, more faces in, but I always want to keep that lightning in a bottle backyard sort of filming um in there you know because i i kind of what we were talking about before i think those sorts of limitations make you think you know well we have cardboard boxes i bet you we could sure. do it with that yeah. you know we turned a cooler into a dry ice machine to make fog all over the floor and worked great you know that yeah. sort of stuff it's like because we don't have a studio and all these like crazy things or or whatever um so that'll always be a part of uh, the process, but I do have reps. I'm rep by Three Arts. Luke Maxwell and Will Robotham are are my managers, and I've been working with them since uh, Ballistic. Which that all came about in a funny way. Of long story short, Ballistic came out, got a bunch of production companies and producers hitting me up about developing a feature and. I had never gone to the like po- this point, like it jumped past points that I've been at. So I'm like, I don't really know how to handle this. Do I talk to everybody? Mm. Is this like cheating on a girlfriend with everyone? Like, do I tell them about sure. each other? And I'm like panicking. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. But I literally got like five people telling me, hey, I would like to develop this with you.
1: And you're like, oh, I really click with this person. They seem to love my movie. Right, yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's like, but yeah. do
0: I, I don't, do I, all of them? I don't, do I have to pick? So um, there was somebody, my friend, another friend of mine connected me with like, two years before that and he was like i believe he was just he was an assistant or an intern i don't remember i think it was assistant at three arts and i was like oh you know what i remember him we just called and we're like hey this is me this is you cool maybe we'll talk one day and uh, so i found his email and i shot him i'm like hey this is going on not to bother you but any advice at all that you have about how to find a manager would be incredible and he's like funny enough i'm a manager can you send me a short <laughs> and i sent it to i sent it to him and he's like can we get on a call and then uh you know he brought uh will on and we really really hit it off and then um you know i started working with them developing it outside of production company so we could really develop it into a thing and then take it mm, out to the town right and i've been working with them ever since uh and you know i've learned a ridiculous amount from them so that's been a great uh, experience as well
2: yeah it's crazy how that story it sounds ridiculous like i just kind of contacted a person that happened to be a manager and they just ripped me after i sent them one short film but it's like it's kind of common you know and it, yeah well and th- that's the just the smallest version of it right like
1: you probably were facebook friends with him for those two years right beforehand no that and was like the only that was the only touch point
0: only touch point we had yeah. that one we emailed and then we got on a call we chatted liked each other And then for two years, nothing, silence.
1: Right, right. But I'm saying in between you guys chatting and then him signing you, right? Like, he, at least tangentially, he's aware of you. Or even if you're still working for those two years, he can, like, do a quick Google and be like, oh, Ryan's up to some cool stuff. It's not like... Literally, just ballistic is the only touch point. Like, would he
0: have cared at all if it wasn't for that first call? I I doubt it. I don't know. Right. You know, it's right. it's like a, you know, it's it's a great thing with like those first generals that you do is just you're getting on people's radar. So then, right. when my managers are like, "Hey, Ryan has this new thing," they're like, "Oh yeah, Ryan, he was a cool yeah. dude. He wasn't crazy. He didn't seem too weird." <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Right. Um, but even that was sort of funny because even when I talked to three arts, I was like, "Oh, thank God, managers, they're gonna help me. You know, guide through this." But I didn't. Also, I didn't know that a manager also kind of acts like a producer in some ways and helps you develop material. I didn't realize that fact. I thought sure. they were more agent yeah. And so they're talking about developing this thing and I get all the thing and because, you know, Three Arts produces as well. And so I was like, oh my God, that's just another producer. I still need a manager. I ended up being able to get in contact with this other guy who is the manager of a good friend of mine. And and me and this manager have become good friends ever since. An Amazing dude. And so he's like repping me now. And then like, a couple of weeks later he's like i tell him something that the you know the, the guys at three yards say and he's like dude they're they're managing you and i'm like no no, no they want to what do you mean and he's like and, and he's just and he's like they're they're currently repping you and i'm like no they're just producing it and so he's like okay go go back and ask them and if they are no harm no foul i totally understand so i went i went and i asked them and they're like yeah of course that's what we're yeah. we're we're interested in ballistic right now. do you now. think we're just nice yeah we we're interested in your career we want to help you to do- I was like, oh, no. not so I had to go back to my, the, the other manager and be like, dude, I'm, I'm so sorry. I've wasted your time. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, no, 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 it's fine. They were working with you first. Uh, they want to take big swings. He's like, let's just stay in contact. And we've, we have. We've been friends ever since. Uh, so I was like, thank you so much for, for understanding me. It's for understanding and letting me off the hook.
1: Yeah. And reasonable, too. Right. Like, it's rare that anyone ever, like like looks you in the eyes and shakes your hand and says, I'm happy to be your new manager, Ryan. And yeah. it was
0: definitely a hip pocketed situation in right. the beginning, Where it's now right. like I'm, I'm repped. Like I could say, right. those are my reps. Before it was like, you know, which is totally understandable too. Is like, are you a waste of my time? You know, can right. you handle Let's this? Figure it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause it's also like, when I connect you with somebody and put you in a room with somebody, are you going to be able to handle yourself? Or are you going to embarrass me? Cause you know, mm-hmm. they're putting their name on the line. Like that's the major value of a manager and an agent is their yeah, name.
2: You put their logo on your script when you send yeah, it. Yeah,
0: and, and I've I've looked out with really great managers so whereas like so many uh CEs that I've talked to have mentioned like, oh I I adore Luke, everything he sends, I make sure that he's got great taste. And and so that is the great You know massive Mm -hmm. massive help with that is like people are oh luke sent this over okay i'll definitely look at that because i get so much crap on their desk you know but yeah it's 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 such a it's been such a weird twisty turny like there's an there's always a new layer of like oh that's how that works that's weird oh i get it that's it you know it's like one of my first calls it's such a stupid thing. I'm sure you guys are going to be like you idiot. But I didn't think that hey, I should have other ideas ready to pitch on this call. Uh it's I just thought it was like a hi, we're friends now, you know. Right. And right. by the end of the call it was like I was like, oh, I see like- what just oh, have that shoot. was the point of this is like you like you I mean it's a filmmaker you don't want that but you want to hear what else i have damn it and it was like one of the bigger ones that i've talked to so far so i was like blew that but
1: you know it's funny i think there's a recurring theme that we hear ryan and like oren and i live through this constantly like even sometimes it takes me like months or years to be like oh shoot that's what they meant and like it's not like anyone only gets one shot You continue to build, like if you, if you quit, then that's your one shot for sure. But like building connections, putting things out there, like testing the waters with people, like you're going to make those mistakes. And because sometimes people unintentionally are unclear about things, sometimes because they're trying to just be nice, you know, or sometimes just because the, you know, things aren't clarified to you for whatever reason like that it's not like it's the only chance that you're ever going to have at any of that stuff
0: yeah totally and and i mean if nothing else you had that connection and and if you clicked and hit it off and you know because you definitely you talk story you talk movies that you like you talk passions and and you know if you connect and it's like you're not weird i'm not weird okay you know that's it's it's like you were talking about before now you're on the radar so you know it's it's not Worthless, and and if it goes well enough, there's been several where you know personal contact information. But hey, check the chat. I'll put my you know direct email in there. So if you ever have anything you think I'd be interested in, you know, send it my way. So you right. know those doors open as well. So now it's like it's not just some random person being like, please look at my script.
2: Right. Yeah, I think we hear in like the TV world all the time that like people are buying you, not really your script necessarily right they want to hire the team that can pull this off and i i think we don't think about it in the feature world as much but it is true it's like if someone's not into your project like you shouldn't be offended if they're into you and they say what else do you have it's like that's you're they're investing in the relationship with you as a filmmaker and not with you as a script
0: yeah totally and that's like a part of the you know a lot of people are like what's my guarantee that this won't be so my idea won't be stolen it's like you have none but if they like your idea enough they want to they want the well not just the water you know yeah. it's like because yeah. there's probably more in there like this and they liked it enough and if you're the original source it would so yeah I've, I've definitely um you know clicked on that as well and have kind of chased that idea i i think it's really useful to a friend of mine said it something about pitching where it's like realizing you're the train you know a lot of mm-hmm. people are really nervous because it's like i um, Stu, I believe it's Stu Maschwitz, And I think Seth is the one that actually told me this, but it's like, you know, the, you go into these meetings thinking that they're the train that you need to get on to mm-hmm. be able to do this thing. But in reality, you're the train and they're always looking for one. They can jump on. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that has helped quite a bit. And, and having that mentality of, you know, obviously not douchey, obviously, you know, sure. having humility. Yeah.
1: And, you don't walk in. You're like, hi, Ryan Connolly, the train. You're going to want to jump, jump on, on. on this
0: buddy. <laughs> <Choo-choo>. <laughs> not in a weird way. Not in a weird way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um (laughs) But like, you know, just having the mentality of like, uh, I would love to do this with you. um, But even if you say no, I'm still making it like I'm going to make this eventually. Do you want to make it with me or is it not right for you? And just having that mindset of it, it helps get away from the very easy trap to fall into, at least for me, of like they don't want it which means it's not good enough which means i'm not good enough you know and you you start slipping down that filmmaker depression hole but just having the confidence of like well i'm going to make this either way uh kind of you know at least helps me avoid those traps that do you know creatively slow you down
2: yeah that train metaphor is so good i mean that's why your manager signed you right because it's not like you said hey here's my short what do you think you're like hey i made this short it's got all this interest from all these people things are happening with it i need someone a conductor yeah
0: there's definitely like the hot person in the room situation you know like it's like you create the illusion that uh everybody wants to talk to you or or maybe it's real or whatever it is like that's like the game of it all right is like you know, oh everybody's talking to that person. I guess I should be talking to that person, you know, which is funny because there's, you know, incredibly talented people that that don't have heat on them. And it's like, dude, if you just pay attention to that one, you know, um uh you see it all the time. But yeah, that that's definitely an aspect to it, just that that hot person in the room idea.
2: Well, listeners, may you all be trains that people want to hop on. Yeah, sexy trains. Well, awesome, Ryan. It was so great talking to you. Are you down to join us for some unpaid endorsements? Yeah.
1: Unpaid endorsements.
2: So my
1: unpaid endorsement is the film Day Trippers. Do you guys know the Day Trippers? It's Greg Matola's first film. It's like straight up indie New York. Is that based off a
0: graphic novel? Because there's a graphic novel that I love called Day Trippers. I
1: don't think so. This is just like everyone's home for the holidays. It's Hope Davis and Parker Posey are like sisters. And then like they're staying at like their parents' place. And uh, Leah Shriver is the uh, the boyfriend to Parker Posey. And we realized that Hope Davis's uh, husband is cheating on her. And so their their day into New York, into the city, becomes kind of a little caper to, like, figure out what's going on with Stanley Tucci. Um, and it's really great. It's super funny. It's super charming. It's got that kind of external plot driver. But it's really funny. It's really charming. It, the cast is incredible, you know, and, it, you know, it cost back in the day it was like nothing basically and was i think the first slam dance premiere basically and so uh it's super charming it's on criterion streaming you can buy the disc if you would rather do that but um the day trippers. I just found really charming and fun. Ryan, what you got, buddy?
0: The latest thing that I that I could think of is actually something from a friend who put up a uh, a doc he made. It's like this hour long doc called My Brother Jordan, which it's uh, it's a documentary he made that took him eight years to make about his late brother, his life, their relationship. And it's just this, uh you know, I know him. I love him. He's a uh, very good friend. But even if I didn't. I think I still would have considered it one of the most honest, like heartbreaking, beautiful documentaries I've ever seen. It's just a really beautiful, it's like one of those things where you watch it and at the end, you kind of just want to, you just want to be a better person. And there's so much perspective wrapped up in it. And he very much made it as something to talk about and remember his brother, somebody who he had an incredible relationship with and bond with, but in doing so he, 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 either intentionally or unintentionally, I don't know, crafted this thing that, uh, so specifically pointed out how much of an effect one life can have on, you know, every life around them that they touch. And uh, his brother absolutely was that, that person. And it's actually, it, it hit off. It's, it's been doing really well. He put it on his own channel. He didn't really have any subscribers and it's just taken off. I think he just cracked a million um, views on oh, it. Wow. On so YouTube? yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of people are starting to connect with it. And that's been, you know, I told him today, it's like one of the things I'm most excited about is just seeing that, you know, Jordan has, you know his brother like you know is you know still touching lies like the effect that his life is having on people now by by watching this that like kind of like i keep calling it this gift that justin gave to the world to you know introduce the world to his brother so that that would be mine I, I just thought it was incredibly well made i loved how he just technically how he put it together but um uh, emotionally it's just it's it's wonderful i
2: think i saw the trailer for it after seeing you mention it on your channel i wonder how many people have like a loved one die that's like did these amazing things in life and they're like i need to make a documentary about them and then like the next day they're like uh, ah, what's for lunch uh Let's go. Yeah. And it's
0: something that Justin has care. Cause he, he actually used to work for me. He worked for me for about three years and he was working on it the entire time. And it was tireless, man. Like we were like, Hey, we're all going to go do this. And he's like, I'm going to go home and edit. And it was just every night, just going home and working on this thing. It was like such an intense, it's not something he threw together quickly. It really was eight years. Cause he went around interviewing people, gathering footage, gathering, you know, uh, hospital documentation, everything that went on cut recut, sent to the people, got notes, cut, recut. And it was just, um, yeah, super proud of him. It's just, it was an incredible achievement. Um, and I couldn't be happier that it's getting the recognition that it's getting, but definitely if you haven't watched it yet, couldn't recommend it enough.
2: And it's just, anyone can watch it on YouTube. Totally My free. He spent
0: eight years of his life and just put it out. Cause it was just important to him to, you know, cause I was even like early on, I'm like, dude, let me, let me help pass it around maybe you know somebody maybe you could get it on netflix or something and you know he looked at some places and he's like man i just really want everyone to see it so i'm just gonna put it out there for free yeah.
2: that's pretty wild man that's pretty that's pretty great that's awesome kaplan you asked me if i had seen the documentary boys state because uh you thought that i would like it Hi, was i right yeah boy I, I loved it and i was like uh, oh man i'm overselling this you maybe you oversold it a tiny bit i'd give it like an a minus yeah so that's that's a watch yeah, yeah. But it's a documentary that's exactly about what I spend ninety percent of my day thinking about. There's a reason I texted you. Have you you. seen it, Ryan? Is that the? Is it on Netflix? So this is my useful tidbit. It's on Apple, and I didn't realize that so many people didn't know that you get the Apple TV Plus for free if you've bought an Apple product within the past year: iPhone, iPad, laptop desktop and they have you know their library is okay they have they had the morning show which was i I don't know i watched the whole thing i thought it was i'd give that a solid b but uh boys state is a documentary you can watch for free on apple so you can also do a free trial yeah you get a free week trial if you uh, haven't bought an apple product in the last um year
1: and also i think it's only like 4.99 a month if you want to stick it out so not so bad yeah Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, you probably don't i i I don't find myself going to it much
2: yeah yeah Yeah. it's not the same sort of i also find the naming convention is like confusing because it's like your apple tv on your apple tv and when you go to the app like you can see all the things that are not on apple tv and you don't know what costs money what doesn't cost money anyway but so boys state it's this event that happens once a year i think it's for high school seniors they do a girls state also but this document they're working on a sequel
1: girls state actually
2: Always do the boys first. Not cool, guys. But it's basically the one the documentary is about all these boys in Texas. And they take all like 2000 boys or 1100. I heard both numbers mentioned. And they split them into two groups of like, let's say 600 each. And they assign you a party. You're the Federalist Party or the Nationalist Party and then people decide what office they want to run for and the what their platform governor. is what they stand for all of that stuff Interesting Yeah so yeah they have to campaign they have to get signatures to be on the ballot and they run for mayor's for city state for campaign chair and it's because it takes place in Texas your home state it's all these 17 year old boys and the only two issues they care about <laughs> at <laughs> I all I what's coming. And it's like what does a 17 year old boy care about abortion like I don't know it's just so weird and then guns like they all just like love guns in just a way that is odd to me. I mean, to me, it's also odd to like the right to choice, right to life. Like when I was 17, I don't know, that like I just was not thinking about it. I was thinking of surviving the next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Trying to figure out when, yeah. how I could get a set of Reebok pumps. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dude, yes. But, uh, but anyway, the, you know, they end up kind of, the characters that they follow end up being kind of two of the candidates that are running for governor, a few of the candidates that are running for governor, and they're really, you know, there's some really moving parts to it, but I just thought the dynamics of the politics were really interesting. And you can't watch anything political that doesn't remind you of this Trump kind of, well, kind of the the idea of identity politics on the left versus showy, like attack politics on the right, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, you know, that's thematically, I think what they were hoping for. Yeah, and and it's constructed a little bit, which is why it gets the minus.
1: Right, right. Um, The thing that I always love in a documentary as a filmmaker is when you're watching it and you have that moment where you're like, oh, they just got so excited that this thing happened. Like the thing they were hoping for, the plot twist that you you didn't see coming or maybe they were hoping was going to come happens. And I think there's a good number of twists in that movie that are pretty satisfying. Yeah, the election
2: results are pleasing in a story way you know there's a lot of conflict and there's things you don't expect and things you do expect but it's awesome boy state boy state i've I've been on a
0: documentary
1: kick so i'll probably watch yeah boy who hasn't right i feel like that's everything we're watching uh i'm gonna tack on real quick um the filmmakers behind boy state were on um the business with kim masters and do a really great interview about their casting process and how they kind of got things greenlit and all that. Cause it was a pretty big deal out of Sundance. And so that interview will post as well yeah, and is super good as to, kind of like a combo.
2: To shoot an event with a thousand miners. <laughs> you know? A thousand
1: miners all in seven days. So they had like six camera crews running around and like, but all, it's all about the prep work that they did in advance to figure out like who they wanted to follow. Not every single kid that they followed ended up in the movie. There's a lot of interesting facts about yeah. it. So
2: And it was it's also a beautifully shot doc and it's shot on C three hundred, which I was like it looks like it's shot on, you know, like a Alexa Alexa. With film yeah. lenses and stuff. Cool. Well, I think we know how to find out more about you, but is there anything not Film Riot or Triune that, um, where we can see what's happening yeah, with what's you? D- yeah, what's Connolly? the deep cut of Ryan Connolly?
0: No, I mean, I just, you know, filmriot.com is, is where we've been putting everything. We've got the podcast, we've got a blog uh, now going. But yeah, pretty much everything that's public is still, you know, funneled right through there. Hopefully, there'll be something eventually. Else, sure. but you know, for now, it's it's funneled there.
1: Awesome. Well, if you want to learn more about the things that we talked about, you can go to JustShootItPod.com for all of the things that we name dropped this episode, along with links to Ryan and
2: myself. And you can follow us on social media at Just Shoot It Pod. I'm at Mr Matt and I'm at Smitty on Twitter. I'm at O Kaplan on Instagram. This episode was edited by Sarah Weirda. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams. Our social media director is Derek Aiello and the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks Thanks, everyone.
0: Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week.